This is Norm Holy for WFHB, and today I am interviewing Dr. Patrick Brown. He's at the Carnegie Institute for Science in Stanford, California. He is one of the co-authors of a paper that just came out in Nature, and it's a pivotal paper in that it really takes a different approach to understanding climate change. They are using a different methodology in their model. Could you please tell us how you've done their study? Sure. So the typical way that uh, projections of future warming are usually done is we just run a bunch of climate models and we essentially kind of take the mean of those model outputs going into the future and look at the spread about those climate model produced answers and just kind of say, okay, here's here's the mean and then the uncertainty is basically the spread about that average. And so that's kind of a model democracy approach where every model gets kind of one vote and so there's no discriminating between well-performing models and poor-performing models. And so what our study was trying to do was to try to actually use observations. In this case, we used observations of the Earth's global energy budget. Use observations to essentially discriminate between uh, well-performing and poor-performing models and then shift the projections of future warming such that they emphasize the better performing models. So the kind of central conclusion is that if you just look at the raw model output, there's about a factor of two difference between the models that produce the most warming and the models that produce the least warming. And so we've narrowed that uncertainty by about a third. And we've also shown that models that simulate the recent past better tend to produce more warming in the future. So we've also shifted the central estimate of what future warming will be up by about 15%. You were using high atmosphere data in your model, weren't you? Yeah, so we call it the top of atmosphere energy budget. That doesn't actually refer to it being high in the atmosphere. It's just that the accounting for the energy coming in and out of the planet is done at the top of the atmosphere. So all that means is that we're just keeping track of the amount of energy coming in from the sun and the amount leaving in terms of long-wave radiation. And so we're looking at how well models simulate this in the mean climate state, like just on average, as well as how well they simulate variability in those things. The reason that that would be related to how much warming they project in the future has to do with the fact that things like clouds and sea ice and water vapor all interact with the Earth's energy budget. And those are all key things that change in the future and either cause increased warming or decreased warming. And so models that stimulate these things the best in the current climate system should also stimulate their changes the best as the climate warms. And so that's why there should be a connection between those two things. What is your prediction in terms of future global warming? So one thing that's important to note is that we're not looking at any uncertainty in terms of how much humans will emit. So that's the main cause of the large uncertainty in future warming is that we don't know the technological and political future of humanity, right? So we don't know how, many, how much greenhouse gases humans will emit in the next decades to centuries. So our study is all about for a given amount of greenhouse gas increases, how much warming do you get? And so we show, well, I mean, it, it depends, I guess, on the scenario, but we show about a 15% increase across all of the scenarios. Whatever the central estimate was before for a given increase in greenhouse gases, 
we're showing about a 15% larger increase. Could you comment on why some of these predictions that have come out by the IPCC have been under-assessing the damage? You know, part of it is just kind of scientific conservatism. So in the case of sea level rise, the previous IPCC report realized that we weren't very good at modeling what the ice sheet could potentially do as climate change, as warming continues to increase over the 21st century. And so what they essentially did was they just ignored the contribution of ice sheet melt to sea level rise, just because they were saying, we don't know enough about this, so we're just not even going to include it. And so that led to a very kind of dramatic underestimation of the potential increases in sea level rise. And so that kind of just gives a window into the thinking that it's just very scientifically conservative to, instead of saying, we don't know this very well, we'll put in a big value. They said, we don't know this very well, we'll put in a value of zero. And so that's one of the reasons that you can get these kind of underestimations. And then as we learn more, then the projections start getting. Where is your research going to go from where we are now? What are your plans for the future? Uh, Well, I actually have a, so I'm in a very eclectic group at Carnegie um, that does a lot of research on uh, not only the physical science of climate change, but also uh, energy systems and climate impacts and climate economy interactions. And so actually my next thing that I'm looking at is uh, these integrated assessment models, which do this cost-benefit analysis of how to best reduce uh, uh, greenhouse gas emissions such that uh, you're balancing the cost of abatement, as in it kind of costs more energy to, or it costs more money to put, uh, to reduce emissions, you're you're, uh, mitigating that cost against the cost of climate change. And so I'm interested in that problem from a cost-benefit analysis uh, perspective. And so that's uh, kind of the next thing that I'm working on. That sounds terrific. Are you working with uh, Jacobson at Stanford at all? Uh, I'm I'm not. So I'm uh, I'm working with Ken Caldera. So he's uh, one of the people that Jacobson is suing. <laughs> or he was a co-author on that uh, PNAS paper that uh, Jacobson is uh, has taken issue with. So I, I've never met Mark Jacobson, but. Any other thing that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Yeah, I think so. One one of the key points of our study. Uh, is that you'll often hear uh, people that are kind of skeptical of climate change uh, talk poorly about climate models. And uh, they'll, they'll say that models don't do a very good job of simulating even the current climate, so how can we take their projections of future warming, uh, severe warming, seriously? And so our study uh, really uh, shows that there are very important areas where climate models can improve. So there's big climate model uh, discrepancies between observations. However, we show that the models that perform the best in terms of how well they simulate the recent past are the models that warm the most in the future. So it doesn't really make any sense to say that because some models don't do very well in the current climate system, that means that we can dismiss the, the most severe projections in the future. If anything, our results show that because models, because some models aren't doing very well in the current climate, the models that produce the least warming in the future uh, can probably be dismissed. Sounds very interesting. So I'd like to thank you for the interview. I've been speaking with Dr. Patrick Brown of the Carnegie Institution for Science in Stanford, California. Thank you very much for your time.